People of Earth, attention! This is the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your host, Daniel French. Today we're flying back into the Gafgarn Bubbleverse for Gafgarn the Eternally Unfurnished, Chapter 9, The Heist. Please contribute to Chronosphere Fiction on our Podbean site or on patreon.com slash chronosphere. Especially if you're into Agapantha, where Agapantha Chapter 2 now resides. As for now, strap in. Here we go. Enjoy Gafgarn, the Eternally Unfurnished, Chapter 9, The Heist. Aleda was annoyed. She had spent the afternoon and evening wandering Esterling, poking her head into every tavern and inn, inquiring with barkeeps and eavesdropping on their patrons' conversations sifting through everything she saw and heard for some clues as to A.J.'s whereabouts. She learned only how powerless and afraid most folks felt in the oppressive shadows of the keeps above, where the crooked rule the streets. No one said a thing about her uniquely adorned albino, but dissidents plagued the city folk, like a timid bloodlust which pacified whenever toughs carrying lockboxes entered a room. After collecting their booty from an innkeeper, maybe roughing up an unfortunate who spoke a bit too freely about putting the gangs in their place. The gangsters would leave, and the whispers of revolt would continue. The fox was on everyone's mind. It was time for change. But none had the courage to get up and make it happen. Not alone. So Elena was annoyed as she made her way back to the wasted cadaver. Day one and Estherling appeared fruitless. Like Hosto, where she had come so close to capturing her quarry. She chewed her lip as she marched, punished by her thoughts about her failure. She was angry at Gafgarn for doubting her. But he was right about one thing. A.J. shouldn't have gotten the best of her, especially with a piece of wood. She needed to focus, find a lead, take the villain down with the tenacity, precision, and professionalism she was known for. Hardin and Gafgarn were wrong. She wouldn't let that past distract her. A.J. was as good as hers. It couldn't be anyone else to bring him down. The hawk would have her rat. Her thoughts wandered like this while she walked. Though tired, she maintained the watchfulness she had become known for, unconsciously scanning for anything out of the ordinary. Finally, she caught movement out of the corner of her eye. She followed it down a poorly kept street of equal parts stone and mud to a rotting fence. Through its gate rested a theater, little more than a raised platform in front of a few rows of dirty benches. Overgrowth of sad shrubs and tangled vines crowded the space. A.J. sat on the edge of the platform, gawking at Aleda as if he'd been waiting for an old friend. Hey, Cyclops! Aleda drew her sword and made to charge him. He tilted his neck and scratched, revealing a spiked leather bracelet. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Other forms sidled forward in space around them a group of tough-looking gangsters brandishing weapons. Many exuded evidence they had just been in a scuffle, like scratches, bruises, and torn clothing. 
Venom dripped from Aleda's words as she spoke. What's this? You were never one to play nice with others. Well, even I get lonely. The Madam's hustlers seem like a fun bunch. I figured I'd stick around for a while. Aleda tightened her grip on her blade and swung her shield onto her arm, every muscle in her body begging to cut the man's head off. For now, she stayed her hand the number of thugs crawling out of the dark increasing by the moment. You think they'll protect you from me? I think you won't risk a turf war with the madam. Take me out. The Hunter's Guild might find Estherling more unwelcome than usual. And risk her entire mob becoming a mark. The Duchess wouldn't line her pockets or help keep the guard away. She'd be finished. Don't think she's too concerned. Didn't you hear? The Wolf Cloak Wanderer is in town. Rumor is, Wolfbutt killed the self-proclaimed Bandit King. Some say he and the Madam have a past. I wonder how she feels about what happened. Fierce lady like that, in the state she could be in if that were all true, might not care about unwritten rules pertaining to the Guild. Royal benefactor be damned. She might do whatever it takes to gut the man who gutted hers. What did you do, freak? Lit a fire under the bull's balls. You have to see for yourself. A thug leaned in close to AJ and said, Madame told us to keep you safe, but you're pushing it, clown. Ease up. AJ grabbed the man by the face and shoved him away. I'll ease that tongue out of your mouth. You touch me again. Let me have my fun, will you? Where's the girl? Dead. Did you forget your snookums already? Aleda took a step forward. The other bodies in the yard did the same. Oh, right. You meant the professor's sweet sister. Relax. She's fine. Got her own bunk and everything. And the madam isn't even putting her to use in one of her brothels. I'm working hard here. And she's getting free lodging. Sitting pretty, I'd say. With the madam, then. Silly of you to let that slip. The professor will be happy to know that. To do what? Bring his wrath down on us? One move and I'll have her on the street with one less heart. Worse, I'll sell her to the madam. You'll see her when I want you to see her. Until then, I have other things to keep you busy. The odds in the yard became oppressive, the thugs threatening to cut off her retreat. With pained movements, she began to back away. Before you go, I've always wondered, did you keep that spoon, carry it around with you on your belt, so you could scoop my eye out with it? She grimaced at him, tightened her grip on her blade. No. I know you didn't. You're not the sentimental type. Not anymore, anyway. Can't say for myself, though. Great memento. How could I let this go? After you showed me what you're willing to do to save your cute, sexy squeeze, I just had to keep it. Ha! Your girl squirmed and screamed while you did it. But she behaved like I knew she would. Don't do it, she said. Don't worry about me. Just kill him. She was right, though, wasn't she? You'd have been better off if you had just charged me and let her die. At least it would have been a better trade. Lose her for me? Instead, you've lost her, and you've got that nifty patch over your peeper. You sick bastard. I'm going to make sure I catch you alive so I can... I think that's enough. A familiar voice announced behind her. Hardin emerged from the shadows to place a firm hand on her shoulder. His other hand pointed a long, thin rapier at the crowd. Its handguard was a winding silver rose bush with rubies of flowers. Unless you snakes are going to do something, this conversation is over. 
you can slither back to the stinking mire you came from. I suppose we've had a busy night. You seem tense, Aleda. Make sure to rest up. Harden, we can kill him. We can stop him now. We both know how bad that would be. You do more damage than good. I promise you'll get your chance. But now is not the time. Let's go. AJ's fingers danced in a drunken, mocking wave. With Harden's help, Aleda backpedaled out of the theater. She allowed Harden to lead her through the city, while her mind raced with vile punishments to meet upon the villain. Her knuckles whitened on the hilt of her blade until it hurt as much as her heart did. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gafgarn, Sully, Doran, and Amadi remained stuck in their dreary jail cell, accompanied only by dancing shadows from dim, flickering torches. A morose Sully leaned in a corner, staring at the ceiling. Doran lay on a bench, whistling a horribly out-of-tune melody. Amadi stood in the center of the cell, looking disdainfully about while she massaged her crippled arm. Gafgarn hadn't left the crusty, dusty bars. His immense fists still wrapped around them like the ropes of a noose. A noose he imagines was coiled around AJ's neck. Amadi cut the oppressive silence with a sharp edge of her voice. What sort of foulness are you into, giant? Gafgarn responded with a simple turn of his bulk. Doran answered for him with a crooked grin. Only the best kind, lass! Not even a night in this city, and it already threatens to swallow you whole. Already we find ourselves beset by villains. Furniture seems to avoid you as if alive. Now that thing in the cell across from us speaks to you in riddles. He's the one we're looking for, remember? The one out on the road with the girl. Yes, I remember. He's the one I saw. He's insane. He's a dead man. As it should be. But why is he so fixated on you? Something about the curse. Curse? The boots. Furniture. Isn't that obvious? How is that possible? I saw it with my own eyes, but it's just ridiculous. If one could make magic, why do that? Understand it or not, it's happening. This game he plays? Sully cut in again. He knows something we don't. He stole the pair of gauntlets that match these boots. So what happens when you get them? No idea. Well, it's all we got to go on. It sounds like the madman has big plans. Something evil. She let out a sigh, shaking her head. What do we do now? Nothing. Only the crackling of dying torches interrupted the quiet that enveloped the room, which made it that much more surprising when a group of shadowy cloaked figures sidled up to the bars and deftly unlocked them. The iron door swung outward in a screech as the figures nodded behind masks for Gafgarn to follow. For the lockup, there sure is a lot of traffic, eh, Gaff? Very curious. We go. The figures slunked and skulked, quick to usher their wards through the halls. The newly released captives kept low and quiet, except for Gafgarn, who walked tall and resolute. Down corridors they crept to the rear of the building where a heavy door awaited. One of the cloaked cadre eased the portal open. After a short look into the abyss beyond, the figure motioned for all to follow. I'm not leaving without... A shadowed figure placed his hammer in his hand, then returned weapons to the others. Right. The figure at the door nodded, then led them out. Noiselessly, they sped into a small yard, passing dark, formless masses. The cloaked rescuers moved with familiarity, surrounding their wards and ushering them forward through a gate into an inky, nebulous city. 
all deftly wound through shadowy streets and alleyways, slowing only to allow a torch-bearing procession of robed revelers to pass along a curving boulevard. Gafgarn counted at least a score of black-robed figures, one in the center of them with additional silver trim and an assortment of necklaces. He recalled the priests and first tentacle in Hosto. Several carried poles with banners depicting the odd creature he had seen earlier in the square. Neshul, the plaque had read. A cloud of incense wafted from them, burning in golden thuribles, swinging from golden chains. Was it normal for them to praise their monstrous deity so late in the night, he wondered? The kingdoms proved stranger every day. After the procession passed, leaving a pit of darkness, the escapees crossed and continued, finally coming to a dead end between rickety-looking shapes. Two of the cloaked figures moved stones from the ground. They reached down and pulled on something until the soft squeak of a metal hinge revealed a trapdoor. Underneath rested a pitch-black nothing that the leading figure jumped into. The figures behind began shoving the group in. The darkness opened into a shallow tunnel so tiny that most needed to crouch and shuffle through it. Gafgarn had to crawl. They followed it down a comfortable decline until it opened up enough for all to stand. Gafgarn still had to hunch. After some time winding through pitch blackness, through multiple corners and curves, candlelight revealed an intersection in an unearthen tunnel. Gafgarn was convinced some of the turns were for show, to make it harder for his group to retrace their steps or find their way through on their own. Amadi sensed this ruse as well. Dorn and Sully were sure of only one thing. They had no idea where they were. At the candles, the leading hood made a sharp right, and the others quickly blocked the other passageways and motioned for the group to follow. After another long bit of confusing winding, they entered a larger chamber lit with several oil lanterns. The cloaked rescuers moved to rest in the shadows of other pathways leading out. This left the group facing a single desk, empty except for a quill pen resting in its well. Seated at this desk was a man that radiated graciousness and welcoming. He was fair-skinned, with a dark ponytail, and a luxurious goatee and mustache. He wore a ruffled shirt with an unbuttoned collar under a reddish-embroidered long coat that would have been considered impressive if it wasn't so weathered and raggedy. A simple wooden-handled spear rested against the wall behind him. He leaned back in his chair, put his legs up on the desk, opened his arms wide and said in a smooth, friendly voice, Welcome, my friends. Please come into my office. Make yourselves comfortable. Gafgarn stepped forward and felt a slight draft. He looked up and saw the threads of smoke from the lanterns flowing into an air shaft like a reversed waterfall. The way the ceiling was shaped, he could stand straight up. Amadi and Sully stood by him. Think I'm done, Gaff. Can we stay here for a while? Take a nap, baby. Ah, take a breather. You've been through much this day. Oi, I'll do just that. Thanks. Norrin found a nice bit of floor that was slightly more even than the rest and collapsed. Who are you? I know you've never graced Esselring with your wolfish presence before, but I'm sure a man of your pedigree saw the signs as you headed in. The man let his fingers lazily play on the spear behind him. The fox. Yes, that's what they call me. Our movement, this whole cool thing we have going on, my real name is Folks. Folks? You're kidding. No. The people call it as they see it, I guess. Falks the Fox, revolutionary extraordinaire at your service. 
he made an eloquent rolling gesture with his hand, feigning a bow. Not very creative. It doesn't need to be. The fox is merely a symbol for the people. Cunning, sly, hard to catch, harder even to find. It's a reasonable enough title for a resistance. Why rescue us? Well, I've rescued you because I know you'll help me. And why is that? Because you'll want to. See my man here? He gestured to a cloaked figure. He once owned a business. He worked shoes. Nice ones. Simple, honorable, successful. And he paid his protection fees to the madam like everyone else. He resisted, as many tried to, by first running to the guard. They did nothing. Sure, they said they'd apply pressure, come by the shop in the evenings, but that never happened. The gang kept taking his money. Until one night, he refused. He was beat. Another night, he refused again. This time with a blade and some friends. The gangsters fled, but later that evening burned his business to the ground. You'd expect that to be all, but later that week his friends were found murdered in the streets. They let my man here live just to make a point. The man stared back, the eyes above his mask hollow and distant. This one here had a family, Fox continued, gesturing to another one of his followers. Her son, growing into his manhood, rebelled constantly, found himself fascinated by the gangs. Power, money, freedom. The young ones love it. He saw the gangs could do whatever they want. Well... Our friend's husband finally tired of it, confronting a gangster in front of the boy. She became a widow later that night when she found her man with a knife in his back. Her son was never seen again. We think he's one of their enforcers now. Next to the wrinkles of middle age, her steely eyes dug like spades into all they regarded. That sounds about right. Hard to ignore an opportunity to be part of a gang rather than the victim of one. Sully commented. Amadi gave her a hard look. About right? It's a tragedy, the like repeated for centuries, and we can stop them from happening, pure and simple. It's always a tragedy when the innocent are preyed upon, but we all have a choice. Amadi regarded the woman. I'm sorry your son made the choice he did. Foolish. Your husband had courage. I hope you do too. Sully attempted to match the look she'd received. She couldn't tell if Amadi noticed or cared. Sad stories. But why are they my business? Come on, big guy. You helped me. You helped take down one of the kingdoms that stole your people's land, pushed you out of the fields until only your forest and mountains were left to you. Those they could never take. They were not left to us. We kept them. Exactly. Hundreds of years, war upon war, have proven the East can't be taken. Your people, the mighty, venerable, honorable Wilders... Informed by your passion and strength, so unlike the kingdoms. Disheveled, fragmented peoples motivated by greed, power, or survival. Once we were passionate revolutionaries. I mean, we overthrew the great imperium for the people, for freedom from tyranny. All for a thousand years of this crap. The people of the kingdoms deserve justice, as do yours. Listen to this one, Gafgarn, one of the few we've met that makes sense. You see, in injustice, you correct it. Otherwise, nothing will change. Fox is right. <sighs> so I help you because we have something in common? Hear me out, Gafgarn. The crown of Ethelring is unseated. There's an opening, an absence of power waiting to be filled. You or I could fill that or find those that would. 
and work through the reborn kingdom to return to your people what's owed to them while improving the lives of the people here. It's an opportunity, boss. AG's hiding with Madam's gang, right? It could be a way to him. Maybe. <sighs> Maybe. One more thing first. How did you know where to find us? A mutual friend sent me. Who? No clue. As an avid guerrilla revolutionary, I rarely come face to face with fellow usurpers looking to support the cause. I have agents that do that for me. Word came as a letter informing me of your presence and where I could find you. It suggested a prison? Uh, to be fair, that was more of a guardhouse. The prison proper is where they'd have taken you next. And that is where you would have stayed. No, our mysterious contact let me know you were lodging at the Wasted Cadaver. Said contact also let slip that you might have killed the Madam's old flame. I knew she'd planned something. So I paid off a captain in the guard, old friend for sure, to have you tailed, and if necessary, jailed, should she make her move. I think I heard her say something about having paid off the guard. She did. I paid more. Which is hard to do for a scraggly band such as ourselves, by the way, so you're welcome. Not many living on the hilltops care to partake in our lively drudgery, so our coffers are filled through charity of, um, an involuntary nature. He grinned madly. You steal? Only what is owed the people. Which is everything. <sighs> that letter. Maybe it was our tag or wither. You still have it? Do I look like an amateur to you? Burn after reading, friend. You don't flip a corrupt crown with loose ends hanging about. I doubt it would be the innkeep, though. A good heart he has, but the way the gangs avoid that establishment of his, I'd wager he's under the guild's protection. Even the guards keep their distance. Royal powers fear the guild as much as the underworld does. That requires political ambiguity on his part. That unwritten rule. Don't mess with the guild, and the guild won't mess with you. Recognize their handwriting? Any special seal? No and no. So you don't actually know if this is from anyone friendly, do you? I can put you back in there if you'd like. I don't think I've ever met folks so unhappy about their own jailbreak. Well, of course we appreciate the help. Thank you. <sighs> so what do you want? Right, friends. There's always a catch. Don't fret. There's something in it for you besides the jailbreak. Let's consider that first piece of business as an act of good faith. From here on out, you and I help each other. Right. So what do you want? Did you notice the burly figures moving business to business as the sun began to set, carrying lock boxes about their waists? Gafgarn remembered the gangsters he saw earlier in the evening and gave a quick nod. Get to the point. The point. The point is, my friends, that our royal pains sitting in their keeps are waging war with each other in the shadows of our city, and that war is funded by extortion. Pay fees to whichever gang runs your district and you may stay in business, under the protection of said gang from any other assaults or thievery. Never mind the taxes we already pay to the crown, which simply go to fund another kind of war. You see, the duke and duchess are not allowed to have a standing army, only a personal guard assigned to their keeps. The entire city guard answers to the king only, at least by royal decree. Off of that paper, the guard's as greedy as anyone else. All that? To what effect? Ask the duke and duchess. I imagine they'll vie for control of the city until their underlings have the resources to take out the crown and anyone else in their way. 
Estelring's royalty changes, the army answers to a new face, and aspirations move beyond the city walls. Duke, Duchess, or King win, nothing really changes for the people. You win and it does? Smart man. Unseat them all, I say. Clean out the gutters. Make Estelring a kingdom of the people. Maybe something completely different. Close to a millennia of monarchic chaos begs for a change and a big one at that. With luck, the fox can deliver that to them. No plans of taking the throne yourself? No, big fella. I plan on burning it and melting the crown in the flames. Then it's back to a quiet life of a tailor for me. Your loss might be your people's too. In any case, none of that matters if we can't move the revolution beyond petty thievery and sneaky underground gatherings. Gangs hoard a large percent of their profits for themselves, and I happen to know where the madam is keeping most of hers. We are going to relieve her of the burden of wealth. Right now. It's all prepared. I just need you for protection. How will this affect the madam? It'll frustrate her, embarrass her, she'll be angry. Those funds pay for her thugs, bordellos, supplies, and some, I assume, she owes her duchess. She'll do something stupid, I'm sure. In the end, it's more important what we do with the coin once we have it. But it'll light a fire under her leathery cheeks. Good. I owe her that. Maybe she'll slip up then. Expose the jester. So we're in agreements then? For tonight. Fantastic. If you'll follow me, we can get this operation underway. Falks grabbed his spear, bounded from his chair, and sauntered into a dark hallway. Come! Gafgarn commanded as he trudged after the gorilla, hammer in hand. The others followed, Doran begrudgingly dragging himself from the floor. Oi! When's this night gonna end? Again, they wound through numerous tunnels, with some turns and loops certainly meant to confuse. Finally, they came to a larger, rectangular chamber lit by lanterns, its two longest walls lined with more people wearing cloaks. They were huddled low, a set of heavy wooden barricades set up in front of them near the only other exit. All of them were armed with crude knives and homemade implements of murder. Falks led them to the fore, then crouched against the barricade. Get low if you want to keep your heads. Move when I do. The group obeyed except for Gafgarn, who stood taking in the scene. He felt a slight draft and looked up to see another air vent. Then he felt a sharp poke in his side. Move! A tiny weathered voice croaked. Gafgarn spun around to see nothing at first, until the prod came again and he saw below him a child-sized figure. It was clearly ancient, with angular, brilliant green eyes hidden behind wrinkles and spots. It sneered up at him with thin-aged lips. It was covered in a colorful, heavy cloth wrap that made it seem even smaller. When it spoke again, he realized it was a woman. I know you're as big as a mountain. Must think you're tough. But could you not be as dumb as one? What? Get your gigantic sour carcass behind a barricade now, or you'll be doing the backstroke in a pool of your own blood. She trotted past him towards one of the lines, muttering, If the explosion doesn't do it, I will, you idiot. (laughs) Yafgarn watched her take cover, then looked from where she came. A sparkling light traveled down the hall on the ground, like a sizzling insect of fire and lightning. He looked back at the old woman in confusion. 
She grinned madly at him. Might want to cover your ears, too. Think you're too dumb to listen now. See what it's like when you can't hear someone tell you to duck and cover. At least you'll have an excuse then. <laughs> he turned back, saw the tiny light fade into the hall's blackness. He slammed himself down behind a barricade, Sully and Doran pulling him low. Across the way, he spied Falks. Coat pulled up around a wild grin. He held out a thumbs up. Amadi had both her healthy and crippled hands clasped on her ears. Her eyes squinted shut. Gafgarn did the same, and the room became deadly silent. Until it wasn't. Well, my ears are ringing. That was a good one. Your narrator, Gafgarn, Dorin, the albino jester, and the thug were voice acted by Mike Bethel. As the new voice of Aleda, we welcome voice actress Julia Eve. Continuing her awesome role as Sully is Dr. Michelle Booz. And in a stellar performance as Amadi, and sick Lilith, we have Deborah Cristobal. Gafgarn the Eternally Unfurnished is written by Jeremiah French and produced by Daniel French. That's going to cool it for this time, kids. Remember to contribute on our Patreon or Podbean sites. Until next time, keep your cosmos clean. Not adjust your sets. You're tuned to Wednesday Wonders on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow on Mutual is Thursday Thrillers, our roundup of action, adventure, mystery, crime, drama, and thrillers, of course. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of diverse audio tales. Or find the Thursday Thrillers feed in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.